Well, it's just not fair. Who in the room or watching with us would be willing to say, I've said those words before? Anybody? Okay, some of you honest people at church here today. It's just not fair. This is kind of a, a mentality that we see everywhere in the world today. There's an obsession with fairness, I think, in the world. And, and in many ways, our understanding of fairness affects our understanding of God, right? Because when life isn't fair or, or situations aren't fair, we look to God and we expect different things and we think, who is this God that doesn't give me what I want, right? Who is this God that would allow this circumstance or situation to be in my life? Who is this God that would walk me through this? I was reading a study this week from the University of Washington that said as early as 15 months old, infants have a desire for fairness, it's interesting, like something woven into our DNA that at 15 months old, there's this desire for things to be fair. Now, some of you are here in the room and you're like, Brian, I don't even care if things are fair. Like, I've been through some stuff, walked through some hard things in life. I know life's not fair. It doesn't even bother me when it's not. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a restaurant with your family and the, the waitress or waiter sat you down and you ordered your meal and while you were waiting for your meal, another family showed up, and they sat down right next to you, right? And, and, and in five minutes, they had their food. How did you feel in that moment? Like, let's be real. You called the waiter over, and like, hey, wait, 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 wait. We got here first. That's not fair, right? That's not fair. Or maybe you can relate to this. Maybe at some point, you found out that a coworker who's doing the exact same job is getting paid more than you are. And you thought to yourself, that's just not fair. Like, I'm doing the same job. I deserve better than what I've got. I think at the root of this desire for fairness is this thought, it should have been me. Whatever they had should have been me. Now, now fairness and this desire for things to be mine goes deeper even than that, right? It, it gets more serious than that. What happens when we look at the world and we say, and we see that, that evil is winning, right? What happens when it seems like the, the, the wrong people get the right things? What happens when, I, I mean, we're taught young that, hey, if you do the right thing, you're going to get ahead. If you do the wrong thing, you're going to lose. And then what we see in the real world is that that's not always the case. Sometimes evil seems to win. Sometimes doing the wrong thing gets people ahead, and we think that's not fair. I think as a dad, so I have three kids, and I think about the reality that my children tonight, will have a warm place to sleep. They'll wake up tomorrow with a, a, a safe home to be in. They, they, they are getting an education. They have food. They have, they have two parents, a mom and a dad, to help, to help raise them and love them. And, and I just think of people, not just here, but across the world, children that don't experience those things. I mean, this is why we sponsor children through Compassion International, right? This is why we're praying for our sponsored kids in Burkina Faso and in Peru, because... As much as we're so thankful for the blessings that we have in our life, and it's not a reason to feel shame, but we're thankful for those things, we, we look at the world and we go, well, it's, it's not fair. It's just not fair. Have you ever felt like this? It should have been me. I deserved what they got. And the question is, is fairness really what we want? Do we really want a fair world? Is fairness all it's really cracked up to be? And what we're finding in this series is that it's definitely not the case. Have you ever seen somebody trade what was right for what is fair? I, I heard somebody say recently that fairness is the enemy of rightness. Doing what's fair can be the opposite of doing what's 
right. Because we, I think we intuitively know this, that, that, that fairness doesn't always lead to flourishing in the lives of people around us or in our own life. Like, here's an example. So let's say um, we're friends. We know each other. Uh, maybe you're in our small group or something like that. And uh, you're going through some really difficult financial times. And then I hear that you can't afford to fix your washing machine. And I think to myself, okay, so I just got my PFD. Yeah, praise God for the PFD, right? I got some PFD money, and uh, maybe theirs had to go somewhere else to other bills, but they can't fix their washing machine. And so I think to myself, I could fix their washing machine. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should do that, right? That, that would be a nice thing to do. But then I think to myself, well, if I fix their washing machine, then I have to fix everybody's washing machine, Right? And so I better just kind of hold on to that bit of money. I better just kind of resist this opportunity to go be a blessing because I just, it wouldn't be fair. And I think these types of mindsets and thought processes can come into our lives and keep us from fulfilling our purpose in the world. If Christians are in pursuit of what's fair over what is right. You see, humans obsess about what's fair, but God obsesses about what is just. What actually is justice? This is an argued point, I think, in the world around us. There's not a whole lot of consensus on what justice is. Justice is definitely uh, a buzzword in our society today, isn't it? Like, people are after justice. Uh, some people avoid justice. Justice has been hijacked for certain political parties. And, and so for some people, they're like, I want nothing to do with justice because, you know, justice has to do with voting for this person or that person. Uh, there's the term social justice, which means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And what we figured out is that beneath your understanding of what is just is a worldview. And so your worldview actually is what informs what you think is just. And so whatever your worldview is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change what justice looks like to you. But what, here's what's so good is that as the church, as God's people, if you're a Christian here today, we don't have to just figure it out on our own. We don't have to make up justice on our own. We can go to the Word of God and let God tell us what is just because we have a God that is just. And, and a God that designed this world, and if God designed this world, and he knows what's right and he knows what's wrong, and so it's our job to follow those things. Otherwise, we'll fall into the patterns of society and always be clashing and, and just bumping heads about the fact that like, we don't agree on what justice actually is. Humans obsess about what's fair. God obsesses about what's just. If we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is actually God in the flesh. John 1 says that, talks about how the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And that's what God did. God said, I'm going to see what's unjust in the world, and in my justice, I'm going to show up to the world. And that's what Jesus did. And as Jesus walked through his life, he gives us an example of what right living is. I mean, if you want to figure out, like, how do I just kill it at life? Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And even people around you who don't follow Jesus or care about Jesus will be like, that dude's killing it, or that girl's killing it, because of the way that they live. Jesus, he, he did a great job of being a human, didn't he? Because he always did what was just. And yet, if you look at the life of Christ, what you'll see is that Jesus wasn't always fair. He wasn't always fair. Like, think about how he spent his time. Uh, the, the time that Jesus spent with people, was it always equal? Did Jesus spend the equal, an equal amount of time with everybody around him? Of course he didn't, right? He had a few close friends. He had the 12 disciples. He had hundreds of people following him and walking with him, and he did not spend fair time with everybody in his life. He knew that. He's a, he, was, he was God, but he was human, right? He only had one place at one time, right? And so, so that's Jesus. And then he would, he would walk into rooms where there'd be people begging, people who are 
uh, sick and dying, and they'd be crying out, Jesus, heal me. And Jesus would heal one of them. And you better believe somebody in the room said, that's not fair, right? It should have been me. That's not fair. It should have been me. But this is what Jesus did. And the reason he did this, this is so important, is that Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. So he only did what God told him to do. He wasn't caught up in the influence of others. He wasn't trying to please other people, right, or get their approval, or, hey, look, look what uh, a justice warrior I am. Jesus had no ego to build, right? He just showed up, and he did what God asked him to do. And in that way, Jesus brought justice to the world. And the same is true of believers when we're following Jesus is we will do the same thing. You see, fairness is about th- making things even, but justice is about making things right. Are you in pursuit of like, just making things even across the board, or are you about making things right in the world around you? So I want, I want you to get real honest here in church today, everybody watching. I want to just get ready, raise a hand. Who here would admit that you like to watch HGTV? Any HGTV fans? Men in the room especially, be honest. Yeah, I see some dudes who are honest about this, that you watch some HGTV. I'm an HGTV fan. I love all the fixer-upper shows. And one of the shows that I used to love to watch uh, was with a guy named Mike Holmes. Do you remember his show, Holmes on Holmes? He's this big burly dude, you know. And, and he had a brand that he created, like, a whole industry out of. And that brand was centered around three simple words. Who here remembers what those words are? Anybody? Let's make it right. Make it right. That's what it is. That's Because he would go into these rehab situations, and the place would be terrible. And we'd all be thinking, like, hey, just rip it down. Those are the three words you need to get in your head. Like, rip it down. He goes, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it right. And he would rip the, the sheetrock off the wall, and, and, you know, like the wiring would be terrible, and somebody just kind of slapped things together. And he had a decision to make throughout the show. And, and the decision was, do I make it better, or do I make it right? They just kind of repair it, You come up with a better version of this place, or do I just kind of rip out the things that are really wrong with this place and make it right? You see, a a simple definition of justice would be as it should be. Like, I'm going to do what should have been done, and this is what he would do in every episode. And and he would go into these these places, and he he would do it the way it should have been done. And he would make it right. And see, again, this is the story of humanity and the story of what God did for us is that God sends Jesus to the world not to make the world better, but to make it right. He doesn't just fix us up a little bit, but he is going to make it right. 2 Peter 3.13, this is such a beautiful promise. It says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So as God's people, like this is the promise that we put our faith in is that like, There's something coming that's better than what you're experiencing right now. As hopeless as the world seems sometimes, and everybody's trying to sell you like doom and gloom, and it's all just going to hell in a handbasket, right? That's what people want to just kind of use against you. We as Christians, we have a reason for hope because we believe in Jesus. We believe in this God that doesn't just make things better. He makes them right. And so when when Jesus returns to the earth, he's not just going to give us like earth 2.0, right? It's like the iPhone, right? Earth version, you know, 3.17, whatever. Like, he's not going to get us like a better version of the earth. He's going to give us a new earth. And, and then our bodies, right? He's not just going to give us like a better version of this body, praise God. Like, I'm excited. I'm going to get a new body, like, like a, a glorified body. And, 
and everything, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and God's going to dwell in this place with his people. And this is so hopeful. This is where the story goes, and it's why we have this vision for it to be in Alaska as it is in heaven, because when we bring heaven to Alaska, we give people a vision for eternity. We remind them this is the story. Even if people aren't Christians, they don't know what it's about, we give them a little, little taste of what Jesus promises to bring, what God will bring in eternity. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 3. We're going to be in a text here today that um, is maybe one of the most familiar yet misunderstood texts in the Bible. And, and this is the case uh, with many scriptures, is that when they become familiar, we, they lose their impact. You know, it's like that picture on the wall that you don't see anymore, and somebody comes in, they're like, that's beautiful. And you're like, what? I, didn't, I forgot we even hung that on the wall in the kitchen. And this is what this passage can, can be like, right? Because it's, it's familiar for many people that have been around for the, the, the church for a while. If you're new to Christianity, this is brand new, and you can see it with fresh eyes. You'll probably see things that, that we didn't see um, in this text. And what we're going to do is we read this text today. We're going to try something that um, I'm going to have the words on the screen. And what I'd like for us to do as a community is, is just kind of participate in this. When you see a word that is a different color, just say that word out loud, out loud with me. And so I'm going to read something. You can speak that word out loud. And we're just going to try to let these words soak into our hearts as we say them. So here are Romans 3, 23 says this. For, say it with me, all, that's everybody, all have sinned, right? Past tense and fall short, present tense, of the glory of God. So all people, all people in the world, all people in the room, this is, this is one of the most offensive scriptures in the Bible, if you actually look at it. Because there's no getting out of it, right? It means everybody's guilty. Everybody is equally guilty. And, and we see hope in this because if you're here today and you're like, I know I'm guilty, bro. The reality is you're no more, more guilty than I am, and I'm no more guilty than you are. We stand equally in need of God's grace. All have sinned, and we currently are falling short. In other words, no matter how much good you've done in your life, you still uh, fail to, to reach the mark. You still fail to be holy like Christ is holy. We fail at living out the glory of God. If you're in the room um, and you're not a Christian, you don't call this sin. Uh, you call this whoops, right? You call it a whoops, uh, like I made a mistake, but we in the church, we use the word sin. All have sinned, all have failed to live out the holiness of God. Every human being has been measured, has been weighed, and falls short of the glory of God. So we, we start with that reality, and you're like, well, thanks for that. I'm glad I came out in the rain and in just kind of a cold morning to get some church on so you could depress me. But this is so important that we slow down, and if you've been a Christian for five seconds or 50 years, you will always need to come back to this reality. Do you know this? Like, we never mature beyond needing to come to the foot of the cross and acknowledge our sin before God. In fact, if you're here today, and you think you've matured beyond that, you are not as mature as you think you are. Because we should always come to the foot of Jesus. And maybe this is your new routine this week as you wake up every single morning. You're like, okay, I need some more of that confession and repentance in my life. So I'm just going to get on my knees before I go to work, before I go do some things with the kids, before I make breakfast, before I go to school. I'm going to get on my knees and acknowledge my sin before God. The Bible says if you acknowledge your sin before God, he will comfort you but it takes acknowledgement to receive the comfort. Some of you want all the comfort, but no acknowledgement. But when we acknowledge our sin before God, he will comfort those who come before him. 
D.A. Carson says this, until people know they're lost, they don't ask to be found. Until they know they're under sentence of death, they don't ask for life. Until they know that they're under the wrath of God, the love of God won't mean anything to them. Until they know that they're guilty, they won't ask for pardon. And you guys, this is so important, especially for us in the church today. If you're not from a more liturgical church background, one of the things that I think maybe we've lost is these rhythms of confession and repentance. These rhythms of just together saying, God, we are guilty. We have no excuse. We are sinners in need of grace. So give us grace. And this needs to be a rhythm in our life. You don't do, do this just once. You, don't, you, you can do this once and receive his grace for all of your life, and yet this needs to be a rhythm in our lives, a practice in our lives of confession and repentance. Otherwise, you will forget who you are in light of God's holiness. You will forget who you are in light of God's glory. And, and, and all of us are prone to wander, to live based on our own pride and arrogance, and we will wander away from the grace that God wants to give us freely. He goes on in verse 24. These are two very important words to the Christian faith. He says, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. So the first word is freely. This word freely means freely. Like grace is, it's free. You did nothing to earn it, right? By no good deed of yourself, you are justified before God. Again, if, if justice is about making things right, then to be justified is to be made right. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to, pe- to, to people who were wrong before God and to make them right. And that's something that, we are, that is done to us and for us by grace. It's to be justified. And this is what we celebrate every week. This is why we sing. This is why we show up here to, to just worship with one another is that I have been made right. I have been justified before God by his grace. I am so thankful for that reality. And so we come to rehearse that and to experience that every single week together Again, we are justified freely, made right freely by his grace. Now, how do you know if somebody's been justified? Because they go and they act justly. That's how it works. Is that justified people go and they bring justice. It's interesting. Justification is actually a printing term. And it's a printing term that means to align with the margins. And if you're like me, um, when I type something up, it has to be aligned with the margins. My, my brain will explode. So, like, I'm always aligning the text and making sure it's very organized. And it's interesting that it, justification means aligning with the margins that Jesus shows up to the world as an act of justice. And what's interesting is that what Jesus did when he showed up to the world is he aligned with people in the margins. Like, like those who, people in the margins are just people that, that nobody wants to be around. The sick, the dying, the hurting, the people who are like, ah, I don't know if I want to be around them, right? Jesus goes, that's who I'm here to save. I'm not here for the healthy. I'm here for the sick, right? And this crazy stuff happens, like in their society, that you don't touch the sick because they're going to make you sick, but then Jesus touches the sick and the sick are healed. Jesus aligns with people in the margins. And so this is how you, church, all of us can know, like, have I been justified? Big question. Do you align with people in the margins? Do you get around the, those people that, that nobody gives dignity to? Nobody gives any, any time to or effort to? Nobody sees value in? Are those the people that you run toward? This is so important. Don't miss this. I, I don't think that the opposite of justice is injustice. I actually think it's apathy. It's apathy. 
It's when we stop caring. We were together this week with our um, serve teams for VIP night, just celebrating all God has done in ACF Church, and we ended by walking around this property and and just praying for our city and, and just asking God to, to break our hearts for the community. And, and my prayer in that time was like, God, I feel like I've somehow been numbed to the needs of people around me. Have you found yourself doing this ever? You're like, you're a par- terrible pastor. I know, I'm working on it. But have you found yourself like in a situation where you're like, I don't think I really notice people anymore. Like, I'll do this. I'll, I'll go to Lowe's and I'll be trying to check out. And, and have you seen that the people around you in your midst, um, instead of being people who bear the image of God, who God loves, who you're on mission to, to share the gospel with, they become obstacles to your schedule. They're just kind of in the way, right? Traffic, they're in the way. People, they're in the way. You know, like life would be better if you just removed all the people, right? If you get to that point, you've lost the heart of Jesus, I promise you. Like, like to be justified means that you go into the world and you want to make things right. That means interacting with people, the people that God loves, it means starting to care again, right? Resisting apathy, this, I don't really care. It's somebody else's job, right? Proverbs 18.9 says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. You actually befriend the enemy when you decide to neglect the calling on your life that God has for you. When you're like, yeah, I'm, not gonna, I'm not too worried about that. Like, like you're actually befriending the enemy, it says. Proverbs 21.13, this is a scary challenge. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. And isn't that true? That those who don't care for others will be ignored in the moments where they need to be cared for. I've seen this happen. Where people, they run to church, they have no relationships. They've not been pouring into anybody but themselves. And their life is falling apart. And they're like, I need people, I need friends. And the beauty is, you will get people and friends. And people will love you. But it's a hard road, and it's a long road to build those friendships and, and to pour into people and, and to find them pouring into you. But if you've resisted this, you will find yourself very alone and very uncared for. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We can isolate ourselves from the needs of people around us. We've been taught very well to isolate over the past few years. But have you opened your eyes to the people around you, to those things that are not right? Uh, one of the phrases that we use is that God gives us a holy discontentment. And that holy discontentment is how we start to know what our purpose is on this earth. We start to be frustrated with the wrongness in the world and we go, it's my job to go and make that right. That's how you know somebody has been justified is they go and they act justly. Again, this scripture says we've been justified freely. In other words, our justice doesn't save us. Our just actions don't save us. You see, we don't seek God's justice so that we can be saved. Our salvation is what leads us to act justly. This is what's so unique about Christianity is that we don't do anything we do to try to receive something from God, right? He's already giving us everything as a free gift. And so we don't go and do justice so that we can get something. It's the justice of God poured out on our lives that causes us to go and act justly, to go and do these things in the world. Have you ever heard or maybe told somebody before, be honest, have you ever said, stop trying to justify yourself? Married people in the room, like, yeah, just earlier today I said that, you know, like, stop trying to justify yourself. When do you say that? Normally, 
We say stop trying to justify yourself when somebody's in a situation that can't be justified. Right? Where you're like, hey, stop trying to, stop making excuses. You're guilty of whatever this is. Don't justify your decision. You still said or did that thing. Like you're still guilty of that thing. And yet do you know that there's something deep down inside of every single human being that desperately wants to justify ourselves? To make ourselves right. But you can't do it. You just can't do it. That's the reality. Is that you are in a situation where you are guilty and where you cannot fix it, and you can't make it right, but someone has to make it right for you. You guys, this is the root of the gospel. Like when you get this, when you really receive this reality, is when you begin to receive the grace of Jesus. You see, God is completely unwilling to assist you in your salvation, but he was wholly willing to die on a cross to give you salvation freely. And it's a gift. It's a free gift of grace. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement is just kind of a churchy-sounding word that means to reconcile two opposing parties, to bring people in opposition together. God did that. Ephesians 2 talks about how there's this dividing wall of hostility between God and mankind, and Christ came to break down the wall. And he did that himself. He came to reconcile, to atone. And it goes on, it says, of atonement through the shedding of his blood. So, the sin in our lives, it actually demands a sacrifice. Again, there's no neutral sin. There's not like, you know, mortal sins and venial sins. And like, that was a whoops, but that was like a really big deal. Not in God's eyes. All sin causes us to fall short of the glory of God. All sin separates us from God. It's so, so important to know this. Like, and it says there's shedding of blood. It sounds extreme, right? Like someone has to, had to die? And the answer is yes, for you. Jesus had to die for you. It took death to overcome everything that you have done and everything you will do in the flesh. It took death. And again, I know some of you are like, man, I struggle with this reality. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty decent person, you know? And the question is always by whose standard, Right? Like, we can all feel like pretty decent people because we get to set the standard, right? And it's a classic. It's always like Hitler or Mother Teresa are the standards, right? Well, I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm certainly not Hitler, right? <laughs> like, these are your bars, right? This is how you do Like, somewhere in the middle between Mother Teresa and Hitler, God shows up and he says, the standard is Jesus. The standard is holiness. The standard is perfection. How you doing? The answer is not well. I'm not doing well when that's the standard. I must need some saving and I must need some justifying. I can't justify myself, so I must be justified. And that's literally what Jesus came to do. He said, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by, say this word together, faith. Faith. How do I receive this free gift of grace? It's simple, faith. It's the moment that you just receive it freely. You accept it freely by faith. Again, you gotta, you got to embrace this reality. You can't justify yourself. And this is what's so unique about Christianity is that in every other religion, you live rightly to be justified before whatever God you believe in. But in Christianity, we're justified, which leads us to live rightly. It leads us to love justice and to love people and to go and run towards those in the margins. That's how you know you've been justified. So again, test yourself. Think in your mind, like take a personal 
test and go like, how am I doing aligning with those in the margins? How am I doing? Noticing things that are wrong in the world and making them right. This is how you know, again, Christians. And I, I don't know what this looks like in your life. I think we can practice it in small ways, right? See a piece of trash, pick it up. Uh, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but if you do that, it's small things that start to lead you to stop overlooking the problems that are around you and start to lean in. If you're a leader in the room, you know this is so important, right? If you're a business owner, don't you want your staff to pick up the trash, Right? Don't you get frustrated when you come in and you're like, does nobody notice the disaster that is in the bathroom, right, or whatever it is? Like, you want people to notice problems and fix And in the kingdom of God, those who have been justified by his grace, we just, we stop overlooking problems. We see things that are wrong and we go, I, I, I can fix that. I, I can do something in that situation. I can make a difference, not in everybody's life, but in that person's life. I can, I can do that. And so instead of seeking what is fair, we seek what is right. And as you do that, and I do that, and we do that collectively together, the environment of our city changes. The whole community is transformed by this reality. It goes on, it says, he did this, Jesus did this to demonstrate his righteousness, to show us how right he is, how good he is. Because in his forbearance, which simply means in his ability to hold back, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So Jesus shows up, dies for the sins of the world, and it says the sins beforehand were unpunished. And, and this brings up an interesting question people have. is like, how were people saved before Jesus? If they didn't know the name of Jesus and they hadn't heard the story of Jesus, how were they saved? And the answer is through Jesus. They were still saved through Jesus. They didn't maybe know the name of Jesus, but they were saved by grace through faith. Old Testament, New Testament, same thing. They put their faith in God. There's all kinds of great, beautiful Old Testament stuff that kind of speaks to Jesus as sacrifice, just the sacrificial system that existed, all pointed to the coming Messiah that would be the atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. So whether before Christ or during the life of Christ or after Christ, salvation has always come through Jesus. You see, God always knew what would come. When it says the sins beforehand were left unpunished, Jesus was always the plan. From before time began, God understood and knew that you would be you. And he knew your failures. He knew what you have done, what you will do. And all of that was placed on Christ on the cross. So Jesus just, he steps into this incredible moment. This is why, like, the crucifixion and resurrection is the hinge point of human history. Everything else flows out from that moment. Because that was the moment that took care of everything that had happened before and everything that will happen after. And as you look at it, you go, man, what kind of good God is that? What kind of good God is willing to die for us, to go to a cross for us, Right? And you look at the crucifixion of Christ, every Good Friday we slow down to just be honest about the fact that we are the ones that killed Jesus. The cross is, it's our fault, right? We're the, we're the necessity of the cross. And we realize that while salvation is free, it's not cheap. And when you stop getting on your knees and acknowledging your sin before God, we cheapen the grace of Christ. We, may, we, can, we can start to think that we deserve it. And this needs to be a rhythm and routine, once again, in our lives. We have to acknowledge our sin, realize the severity of our sin, so that we can understand his grace. Because here's the deal, all sin goes somewhere. 
All sin goes, it goes somewhere. I just want, it's either on you or on Jesus. Here, like, story that comes to my mind. We were, we were building a house about four years ago, which I'd never done before. Um, I watched a lot of YouTube. It was interesting. Uh, it's still standing, by the way, so that's, that's good news. But we, uh, we decided to install our first septic system in Alaska in January, which uh, was, was dumb. It was just a dumb move, I'll tell you. It, the ground was frozen. It was just, it was really difficult to do, but we're out there and it's like 20 below and I've got the excavator running, I'm digging holes and, you know, we, we got this tank, this big old septic tank and the kids are out there. My, my boy Grayson, he's like, dad, this thing's awesome. He's got his head down in there. He's like, whoa, echo. And he's like, this tank is huge. He's like, what is it for? And I'm like, son, that's where your poop goes, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and this story sounded better in my head, but anyway, like, I was like, son, that's where your poop goes. And, uh, He's like, oh, that's gross. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I, that's weird. And I'm like, why is it weird? He said, because I just thought when you hit the button, it just went away. <laughs> he's like, now I know it goes into the front yard. You know, like, that's weird. It seems weird. that it doesn't just, poof, just goes away, you know. But I just wonder, again, like, in our lives, what we start to do is we cheapen the grace of Jesus. And we think, man, our, our sin just, poof, just went away. Do you know that God has never overlooked any of your sin? He doesn't overlook sin. He paid for it. Your sin has been paid for in full. So when you fail at something today, like I'm sure I will, consider that reality, that that sin went somewhere. That sin is what drove Christ to the cross. That sin is what drove the nails into his hands. That sin is what led Jesus to breathe his last breath. But that sin also led to our resurrection. It's the sin also led to Christ dying for us to lead to our salvation. And so Christ always comes back to hope. He loves us. And he cares for us in all situations. You see, I, I think we've all been in a situation where We've been obsessed with ourselves. And, and, and understanding God's justice starts to cause us to notice other people. And so here's a question I want you to ask yourself today as we kind of wrap this up is, what wrong in the world is it within my power to make right? What wrong in your life is it within your power to make right? Is there something that God has uniquely placed you here to do? Is there something that is just, it's unjust and people are not loved or cared for or given dignity and, and value and you go, man, God has placed this person in my life to take what's wrong and make it right. Has God given you ideas, vision, resources to invest in his kingdom that it's within your power not to fix everything in the world? Don't use that ridiculous excuse, right? Like, I can't do everything, so I'm not going to do anything. No, not to do everything, but to do what God is calling you to do. To, to take something that's wrong and make it right because that's, that's who God is. God looked at the world and he said, what's happening is so wrong, I can't help but make it right. Why? Because he loves us. So if you come here before and maybe you're here today and you're just like, man, God is just not fair. I mean, I want you to find that part of your life where you tend to complain about the fairness of God. Maybe for you today, you can't get on top of your financial situation and the stock market's crashing and 
man, your future doesn't look good, and you can't pay your bills, and yet you've got friends who are doing really well, and you're like, man, God is just not fair. Maybe you're here today, and you didn't grow up with a dad. You didn't grow up with a mom in the house. Whatever it is, and you're like, man, this childhood that I had isn't what I wanted it to be. God is just not fair. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis or something going on in your body right now or someone in your family that's dealing with something and you look at that and you go, man, God is just not fair. Here's what I want you to do. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When you look to the cross and you consider Christ there on the cross dying for your sins, just obsess about that reality and what's going to happen is this phrase is going to change from God is just not fair to God is just not fair. And thank God for that. Punctuation matters, doesn't it? God is just. He makes things right. He doesn't do what's fair. Thank God for that. And when you can begin to make this shift in your mind, everything you say, it changes meaning, right? You used to say, it should have been me, right? It should have been me. I should have been first. But now you look at Christ on the cross, and you fall down on your knees in repentance, and you you say, it should have been me. I deserve to die like that. I deserve eternal separation from God. I deserve to drink in my own sin, but Christ, he drinks in the raw sewage of humanity on the cross, and he doesn't act in fairness. He does what's right, and he loves us. You see, this is, I think, what's wrong with a lot of modern-day movements towards justice is what they're lacking is love. Love. Like, there's a lot of people like, do what's just, do what's just, but the reality is we still are stuck on fairness, you know? We want to feed the poor as long as they didn't do something to make themselves poor, right? We want to help the needy as long as they weren't guilty of making themselves needy, right? There's always contingencies on, on people's uh, receiving of, of our gifts, right? Like, we want to, want to do these things, but there's always strings attached, right? Do they deserve it? We're obsessed with fairness. Instead of just doing what's right. I'll close with this. Um, we had some friends over a couple months ago, and we're watching movies, and we got them some popcorn and put it in a bowl from the cupboard, and one of the kids came in the room, and our friends, they're literally like eating popcorn out of this bowl, and <laughs> they walked in, and they were like, oh, that's the puke bowl. Our friends were like, what? The, uh, what's, it's this big red bowl that we keep in the house, and come on, you guys are looking at me like I'm a freak. Any parents got a puke bowl in the house? All right, let's be real. There's a bowl. You guys probably wash yours and put it away. We washed it, but it goes in the cupboard. So anyway, it's useful. So, you know, like eating pot, they're like, oh, that's kind of gross, you know. And, but we've got a puke bowl in the house because, like, we have children, and this is going to happen to you if you're a parent later on this month. They're going to eat way too much candy, and, you know, those kids are going to, before bed, be like, Mom and Dad, I don't feel so good. And what are you going to do? You're going to go get them the puke bowl, right? The big red bowl. But here's the thing. Here's what I've learned after being a dad for a little bit is that the bowl only helps if you use it, right? It does nothing for our children if they have the bowl in their bedroom and they don't use the bowl. And, and this is not uncommon, you know, where they go to bed feeling sick and then in the middle of the night you'll hear, Mom, Dad, and you know what's coming, right? And you go into the room and you realize that the bowl is perfectly clean, <laughs> but their bedroom is not. And like any good parent in those moments, I look at my children and I say, you did this to yourself. Clean it up. (laughs) Of course not. You're like, psychopath? Of course not. Like I get in the mess, right? I clean it up. I help them with it, right? Why? Because I love them. 
Because that's what love does. Love gets into the mess. And that's what Christ did for us. If you have an action card on your seat, would you grab that real quick as we close? And if you're new to ACF, this is something we do every single week. I want you to just, everybody in the room, check one box and drop this in the basket on the way out. And the reason is we found that it's so easy to leave church and do nothing with what you heard here. So I want you to check one of these boxes. Maybe today you need to make a commitment to follow Jesus, to start a relationship with Jesus. Let us know that. We've got some resources for you to help move forward in your faith. Maybe today you need to make a wrong thing right. Like when I said there's a holy discontent, there's something in your life that you need to make right, you were like, I know exactly what that is. So go ahead and do it this week. Maybe, maybe you need to stop justifying yourself. No more excuses. You want to receive God and his grace for free. And maybe here today, you need to invite somebody from the margins to church next week. Is there somebody in your circle who, man, you know that you're the one that God has placed to give compassion to that person? And maybe this is the week that you do it. So make sure you check one of those boxes and drop that in the basket on the way out. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us and we'll close. Father, thank you for your grace and compassion on us. We do not deserve it. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that, God, when we had no reason to defend ourselves, no reason to enter into eternity with you, God, you sent the person of Jesus and that he is our reason. Father, forgive us for being unaware and disconnected from our sin. Forgive us for coasting through life and forgetting that all sin goes somewhere past, present, and future. God, today as a community, we want to acknowledge that you've placed us here in this moment in time to make a difference in our city. God, I pray Eagle River, Alaska, and the world beyond would be places of justice. Why? Because your people reside there. Use us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.